0: Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code PseudoArcheology at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code PseudoArcheology at liquidiv.com.
1: You are listening to the Archeology span Podcast Network. Ancient tools and burials. Plants and seeds, Neanderthals All these things we make no apology Are the study of archaeology we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't
0: Welcome do to the dinosaurs. Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, episode 48. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host today, Jeb Carr. And today we're talking about the Akamra figurines and the Ica stones. How do we know if these are real? What are the similarities between the two sets? And what can these artifacts tell us about dinosaurs and men living together? Get ready
1: to think critically. You will see are a staple of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs, no we don't do dinosaurs, no we don't do dinosaurs. everybody,
0: welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I'm here today with Jeb Card. How's it going, Jeb?
2: Uh, doing alright. I am about to try to turn in a big-ass book, and uh, so I'm a little uh, frazzled. So if I sound a little uh, uh, out of it, it's, uh, that's accurate.
0: That's good, though. I mean, it's like it's like giving birth to a baby that's made up of pages and paper.
2: Which sounds like that'd be a horror of paper cuts.
0: (laughs) So today we are going to talk about two different, well, three actually, but two different sets of artifacts that fall, that have very similar origin stories. Um, Mm -hmm. They're both, we believe, frauds. There's no good reason to believe otherwise. Um, One we've talked about before, which is the Ica stones. Um, We've talked about that on the blog and we've touched on it throughout the podcasts but we're also going to be talking about the Acambra stones or the Acambra figures, which right. were new to me. Those are, yeah. This is a new one for me, but it's still kind of the same sort of thing.
2: Yeah. It, there there are some minor differences. Both involve lots of things that look like dinosaurs.
0: This is true. They yeah. do involve dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of history on the cambra stones, just because I didn't know any of this until I started reading it. Um so we've got a, a, a German immigrant who is in New Mexico. Obviously, he's moved there. And the story goes is that this Valdemar um, Julesrud. Jür- Jür- I,
2: yeah. I assume it's Julesrud. I took German in high school, and that's a very long time ago. So Right,
0: exactly. So, yeah, I think it's v- Valdemar Julesrud, uh, and he is out riding his horse one day out near the del toro mountains on the outskirts of acambro is that in Quintana? mexico it's in, in mexico. west
2: mexico yep
0: and he just sees a he just sees a thing sticking out of the ground and he gets out and he gets he picks it up and he dusts it off and it's it's a little clay figurine and i'm guessing it looked like a lizard or a dinosaur cuz they all do and he got very excited about this and so he hired the the locals from the nearby village and told them that if they would dig for these things, he would pay them a peso apiece for each one of these little figurines or anything that they found. Um, and if they would bring them to him, he would pay them a peso a piece for them. So, of course, wanting probably a peso a piece. I mean, come on, that that can add it pretty quick. Right. Uh, these locals start bringing him by the wheelbarrow full, all of these really interesting looking, Ceramic figurines that they claim that they have found while digging in an actual archaeological site, um, and so they're trying to associate these figurines with that archaeological site. Valdemar or Yarl's Run doesn't seem to be an academic in that no, he's, field in any he's a, way.
2: He, he's a he's a he's a he's a businessman. He uh, he ran a, uh, I think an art, uh, a hardware store. Or he may have been itinerant. Uh, I have some images. I'm floating around somewhere. I found when I, I taught about him a few months ago. But yeah, he was a he was a businessman in the area, uh, and um, there there you know there were quite a few uh, quite a few Germans or people of German extraction that had moved to Mexico that that ended up in in you know various uh, careers in Mexico. Then this is in 1944, uh, by the way. Right. Um, and yeah, he's in Guanajuato. Now I don't know. I'd be very curious to know, actually, if that supposed figurine that he finds that's not brought to him by somebody that he finds actually still exists. uh, I I would be very curious to know that. And the reason I'd be curious to know that is it's not like there are not real ceramic figurines by the friggin' truckload in Mexico. There are, uh, especially from the pre-classic period, but also the classic and the post-classic. So all throughout, you know, basically once people start settling down. They start making all kinds of, uh, of, of baked clay figurines of all sorts. I have some from our former museum collection staring at me from a, a shelf in my office right now. And, you know, you go to Teotihuacan, the great big city, and there are literally millions of these things lying around. And I, not not the Acambra figurines, but, like, figurines of all sorts that are re- real things. And so I don't know if he found a real one. And then when he started asking for more, people were like, oh, hey, you know. Can 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 your kid make a bunch of these? You know, just well.
0: What? And he was the the supposed origin point of these figurines is an actual archaeological site, and it was so there. There are actual artifacts.
2: Do we at know this that though?
0: Site. Yes, we do. In Charles C. de Peso,
2: de Peso's
0: um, article, he mentions how when I, he went. I
2: read a few months ago, but I don't. I don't remember very well right now.
0: Oh well, here. Let me just read you a clip. Um, okay. Anyway, while he was, he actually went to observe the diggers. Um, and he says the excavators, consisting of a father and a son, invited the author, De Piso, to their site at an actual prehistoric Tarascans ruin.
2: Tarascan. Yeah. Tarascan tar- Tarascans are these these folks that are so you you've got like a couple of different linguistic divisions in Mesoamerica. And these are folks who are they're part of Mesoamerica but they're sort of separated in a couple of ways uh to the west. They were the people that scared the Aztecs. Okay. The Aztecs kept sending armies that were basically destroyed at them. And so, yeah, this is in Guanajuato in, 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 uh, in Western, uh, Mexico. So yeah, there's tons of, and, and now if you've heard our earlier show on the moo stones or the, or the Niven stones, a lot is going to sound fairly similar to kind of similar pattern. And in fact, Niven started his digging farther west. Not in this exact area, but out in the western part, and there was a lot in the early 20th century of just common looting for sale, common, you know, just digging for to sell in the art market. So this is less surprising. If this had been the 1920s, it'd have been very less surprising. In the 40s, it's a little, little more so, um, but uh, I'm not horribly shocked to hear of this behavior. But go ahead. What does De Peso have to say? Uh,
0: so he says that he's observing this this father-son digging team at this actual prehistoric site. And they just start tearing through the dirt. Um, they're taking no precautions at all to be careful about what they're doing. So he yeah. he actually laments that while they're pulling, while they're digging down to quote unquote where the clay figures are, he they manage to destroy several actual artifacts on their way down, and this does not seem to concern them in any way. Now Depeso is keeping an eye on the soil, and we've talked about this on the. Show before Ken and I have. When it comes to faking a site, it's very easy to tell a lot of times because when you remove soil from the ground, you create a void, and then when you put the soil back, even if it's the same soil that you pulled out, it's disturbed. It gets disturbed. It gets mixed together, and when you put it back in that hole, it creates a color, a color change, and a textural feel. To, this, to the soil, that is very noticeable, especially when it's as fresh as it was when De absorbed it uh, observed it. So he was actually able to see quite clearly the downward slanting shaft that had been dug into the site that had then been filled with these figurines and then yeah. had the dirt filled back on top of it. To further the the attempt to disguise the figurines as being authentic, they had taken bowls and other surfaces inside of this uh, shaft that they had built and had packed dirt around the figurines and into these bowls. And in the process had well, I mean, it's it's the same mixed soil, so it matches the soil in the dug shaft, not the soil from the undisturbed areas. And also their handprints, their fingerprints and their handprints were still visible in the packed dirt. Um, So he was, oh, and there was some fresh animal manure in the tunnel fill as well. Yeah, Yeah, that's how they age them. Right, exactly.
2: You know, nothing says fine vintage like uh, donkey poop.
0: And this is just the site itself. The figurines, once they were removed, um, you mentioned the the animal manure y- being used to age them. The other problem with the Akamra figures is that they show no evidence of age. Um, they show no evidence of age. So there's no soil packed in the crevices. Any of the incised marks on the figurines were very sharp, which means they were very fresh. Um, and the majority of the Acombra figures were pulled out of the ground whole, which if they were as old as people claim that they are, any archeologist will tell you, you very rarely pull a complete anything out of the ground. So finding, I think the highest number I've seen on the internet is 33,000 figurines out of the ground, completely whole. There were a few that were broken but even those breaks were fresh unworn and had no material in them which means that they were broken on accident or purposefully but they weren't in the ground long enough for things to seep into them or adhere to them or any of that stuff or to blunt right. the edges of the breaks
2: well the, the we've we've talked about the the niven stones on another show and i've actually i actually showed up on on jack churchward's uh podcast and i kind of delineated a little more um there are some core things that you should listen for in all the cases we're going to talk about. And you've already mentioned them. None of them are broken. Not right. one of thousands. That's ridiculous, especially since we're talking about now, when we get to the, the Ica stones, they're stone. They should still be broken. but some of at them, least yeah. there's Yeah, at least some should. But, you know, with the Niven stones we talked about earlier from Mexico in the 1920s, they're all fragile volcanic stone in a volcanic area. They're supposedly over 10,000 years old, not one broken. These, now we'll get to what these look like in a little bit. We'll get there in just a moment (laughs) because it's kind of amazing. But these are clay. The Combro figurines are clay. They are are
0: baked clay, yeah. They
2: are baked clay. Not one of thousands is broken. Actually, some
0: of them are, but Uh all of the pieces are found, which is also almost impossible usually.
2: That is not how the world works. That's not how archaeology works. Um, So that's one, that's a massive red flag you should be looking for. The, another one, and this is, this is, this one's, this one I think is hard for some people to understand. Um, There's this idea that if you find thousands of a thing, lots of a thing, that makes it less likely to be faked. And the thing you'll hear about, and we can talk about this, I think, when we talk about these in in their aggregate a little later, is, well, who would have time to make those? Well, we'll talk about that. But, um, you know, there's the, well, look, there's thousands, it must be real. Well, here, and I said this on on Jack Churchward's podcast about the Niven Stones, that actually makes them less real if they're all coming from one place. Exactly. Now, that doesn't make it impossible that somebody in the past, like one person or very few number of people in the past Made sort of idiosyncratic things. I mean, imagine if you know if Andy Warhol had never become super famous, and you happened to find his pompeii like.
0: Can, we? Can yes? we really imagine that? Well, I yeah. don't like Andy Warhol.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but imagine you had he had not become super famous, so like you didn't he didn't become a cultural figure, and you would happen to cross this obscure artist studio. We're like, there are a bunch of pictures of Campbell soup cans here, and you know. Because that was his thing. Art can do that. But when you start to find thousands of a thing, and you start to find them all over an archaeological site, and you only find them in one place, and none of them are broken, and they're not following the rules of basically physics, then you're starting to run into real problems. And then if they're showing things that break the rules of, say, time travel... Well, then we have other problems, and that gets back into what these things are showing, but yeah, no, there's thousands of these things, and not one is broken or fragmentary, or I guess in the com, a few of them are are fragmentary, yeah. but like you said they're they're but all of their
0: pieces are present, and they can easily yeah. be put back together well, which well, let's
2: let's actually talk you you've done archaeology for years I've done archaeology for years right have you how many now we work in different areas right, and I have found complete or completable things? How many of you found complete or completable things?
0: In my time doing CRM, which is a completely different monster than what you do, um, I have found two intact vessels. Really? Um, yes.
2: In, like not, in Not even that not even need to be fixed?
0: Well, funny story. Uh, I have found two intact, uh, two complete vessels. Uh, the first one we were able to get out without breaking it. Um, which is the other end of this. this? These things don't come out of the ground easily. Even when you're being careful, they don't come out usually very easily. Because they're the freaking se- old. They're really, well, really yeah. old. The second one, we were able to remove all of the pieces, but in the process of um, the process of moving it, you know, oh, yeah. we pedestaled it all oh, nice and we yeah. we wrapped it up nice. But in the process of moving it, um, the dirt inside of it shifted, yeah. and it was a nice. Bell. Yeah, it was a nice round bowl, and it just kind of collapsed in on itself. Now, that said, that one had all of its bits and bobs, so it could have been put back together. But I've been doing archaeology for like 13, 14 well, no, years that, now, you, and you i may, found two complete vessels.
2: Well, you may say that what I do is a different monster. You're right. I've never found any of what you just described. I oh. have. I have worked on classic Maya sites in El Salvador and in Yucatan. I have worked on colonial sites. That was my dissertation work was in El Salvador. I have worked uh, in in the eastern United States. I have never found a perfectly pristine uh, vessel ever. I have worked with people that have found... Now, I have studied and I'm publishing a perfectly pristine vessel which was scientifically archaeologically excavated from a tomb, and I didn't find it. It was in a museum, but I have worked with that. But in terms of stuff I've found in the field... I have found almost completely intact vessels, or I've worked with people, that have like as the Project Ceramicist, that found a almost completely intact, that was glueable back together out of like two parts, Mm -hmm. and only certain sections were missing. I I studied 50,000 pieces of powder for my dissertation. That was the only complete piece.
1: Well, I
0: mean, normally you don't even find that. I mean, CRM has the three different phases. Most of it's done in phase one, which is usually what we call pedestrian survey or uh, the other thing we call shovel testing, which means even if there was an intact vessel, you're probably going to dig through it. Um, But so you're not probably going to find intact vessels just because of the way Phase one is done. Phase two and phase three is where you're going to find it. And both of those complete vessels that I found were out of phase three. Yeah. Um, phase three is what
2: is what looks like when you th- – when w- if you picture in your mind's eye, yeah, if, if you've never seen this. That's what phase three looks that's like. That's what phase three looks like. And that's what academic work often, though not always,
0: looks yes. like. Um, and even then, but very, so very fun. little – It's so rare rare to find a rare to find complete anything. Both times when we found these things, I mean, it drew the entire crew over. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like when we were moving the one bowl, I remember it was, it was like, like, like a a football game or something when, or maybe golf where everyone's waiting for that perfect putt. Cause everybody's hovered around and we've got like the PI and, and he's got his two assistants and, we've all, you know, we've done all of our stuff and now it's the crucial moment where you're transporting and everybody's holding their breath and then the bowl crumbled and everyone was like, oh. Yeah. And, and it, it isn't was, just that they're that's old. That's it is to find. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it isn't just that they're old.
2: The other thing is, and of course, all the cat- all the things we're looking at today are basically signifiers of an amazing past that didn't exist. In reality, if these are actually made by, you know, humans – uh, humans use stuff and throw stuff away, and so if you go into a wonderful museum, if you go to a museum and it's full of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beautiful pristine vessels, you know what, boys and girls, you know where those came from? Graves. In ninety-nine percent <laughs> of cases, if you're seeing pristine vessels in uh, museums. That is the kind of context because that's the one primary context where things are placed in the ground and carefully, not always. I mean, there are any yeah, kind of different carefully. sorts of mortuary, mortuary things, but if you're going to have people putting things in, now there are others. There are ritual caches where are like, oh, we're dedicating this building. We put some food and drink and whatnot in the ground and we bury it over. I mean, that does happen. But the most common in, throughout human existence uh, sort of thing is when you put these sorts of vessels, usually because they're carrying a thing, in somebody's grave and then you bury them. So in reality, if you're just stumbling around a usual archaeological site that's not a graveyard, um, this is not what you're going to find. And you're certainly not going to find somebody's house that's full of, hey, look, every single thing right. in here is groundbreaking, mind-blowing, and entirely symbolic. And after the break, we'll talk about what the groundbreaking mind-blowing, entirely symbolic, and ridiculous-looking Acambro figurines were.
0: Telling a different story to the traditional lines of archaeology, the Anarchaeologist podcast seeks the stories and ideas that are often overlooked or not considered real archaeology. Video games, anarchism, and archaeology in the middle of hostile areas. Host Tristan doesn't search under the rocks. He destroys them. Available on iTunes every fortnight.
2: Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.
0: And we are back, and we are still talking about the Acambro figurines. And, Jeb, you wanted to point out some very particular physical features of the Acombro figurines. Well, figurine.
2: I, I do, but before we do, uh, during the break, you had, you had mentioned that uh, – I just wanted to make this clear for everybody listening. You know, the two that you found, those were not from burials.
0: No, the they, were, ex- they were associated with soil stains that were probably structures of some variety. So probably somebody just left it behind when they moved or something like that. Yeah. And the one I was talking
2: about was actually kind of – it's what's called a sartén, basically like a uh, a pan for frying, like if you think of like frying up like paella or something like this. It was at a Spanish colonial site, and uh, it was probably from a tavern. And so it just happened to be left in the corner. And I found like half vessels in similar sorts of contexts like broken cooking pots. But again, these are things that people use, and the vast majority. Now, what you'd use the Acambaro figurines for – I have no idea at all.
0: Well, especially in this amount. Like, yeah. what do you really need 33,000 of these? Now, and the other interesting thing about that number, that 33,000, like I said, that's the highest I've seen it on the internet. You'll see the yeah. numbers fluctuate, uh, but they mm-hmm. stay around the 30,000 range. According to Dennis Swift, the the guy who really pushes these for being authentic, he's a, he's a young earth creationist uh, researcher, I guess.
2: Well, how do we have enough time to make them? I mean, my God.
0: Well, yeah, 30, 33,000 is a lot. I'm, I'm
2: joking. I'm joking. Well, no,
0: it can be done. But when he and his friend, uh, Don R. Patterson, Patent, Patton, went to go look at these, they could only find five to 6,000 of the figurines.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying. I so you're
0: saying. we there's the claim that there's thirty to 33,000 of them. But even according to these two, There's only five to six thousand of them that can still be accounted for. Well, you know, there's a huge number of them, but only very few can be found.
2: Well, I'm turning, I'm turning my book in in a couple of days, and while I have plenty to do, I'll have a little time on my hands. I could make some more. I mean, we could, we could increase the increase the sample size back to where it was, and they're going to
0: be geologically, even archaeologically, almost the same age. Well, and you can get air dry clay, which should speed that stuff up real fast. Exactly, exactly.
2: And I have no artistic uh, artistic uh, capabilities whatsoever, at least with this sort of stuff with sculpture. I can say that as a fact. And yet, yeah, I suspect <laughs> mine would fit right in. And why I'm is that? Pretty sure Sarah? those still
1: look
0: pretty cool. Yeah. These, I was surprised when you mentioned these because the the Ica stones that we'll talk about a little later on in the show they're they're interesting in their complexity. They're they're. They are frauds, but they're very beautiful and they're they're very cool. The images on them are complex and fun. like aesthetically. Aesthetically, I
2: don't like them, but I could see somebody putting this in some kind of art exhibit.
0: Right, exactly. They're very artistic. These Acambra figurines. When you sent me the link to look at them the first time, I thought you were joking. Nope. Because they're they're horrible. They look like they now, hang look on. like something. No. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, they they look like something that my three-year-old nephew would make. Well, I was about to
2: say, I suspect quite a few of them probably were made by children. So if they were, I don't want to insult them. This is true.
0: Yeah, if they were like my three-year-old nephew, if he were to make something like this, I would be like, oh, that's beautiful. Good job. But if my 37-year-old partner did that, I'd maybe be like, okay, so clay, is not your thing? We should move on to another medium.
2: Oh, here's the moment where I somehow inexplicably rope in the Loch Ness Monster again. Oh, there we go. They remind me of, there's this guy, uh, and when you mentioned I your partner him. and you mentioned the the other thing, uh, Steve Feltham, who uh, decided a couple of decades ago that he really wanted to search for the Loch Ness Monster. So he lives on the shores and he had a mobile home, which apparently is not mobile now. Um, and he left his girlfriend and his job and went up there and started doing this, and one of the ways he supports himself is he takes little bits of clay, and if you Google up Steve Feltham Loch Ness, you'll see these, and you'll see why I bring them up. Um, He takes a little bit of clay while he's watching the lock, and I've seen, like, documentaries where they're talking to him, and the camera will be talking to him, and he'll be, like, working this while he's talking to you, and he's, like, doing the little turn it into a snake and rope it up, and he puts little googly-looking eyes on it. I think
0: they're adorable.
2: Yeah, and he sells them. And he churns these things out in massive numbers. I did not purchase one. One, I don't really like them. Two, they were fairly fragile, I think, so I didn't know if I could be able to get it back. I didn't I didn't meet him, but I saw them selling them in Drum the drocket And so, but they remind me of that.
0: They do. They do. Only his stuff, like, his stuff's cute, and there's a little bit of, I mean, I know you think they're kind of, like, silly looking, but there's a little bit of skill that goes into those. Well, no, there's a little, well, he makes enough of them. There's a little bit yeah, of exactly. Curious.
2: There's a charisma and character to them. I will say that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. There isn't to the Ecomber figurines. They really do look like someone went and bought a wedge of clay, yes. and just started making like snake figurines out of them, and then flattening out parts and like, here it's yeah. a foot. Yeah, like, they I all think are. The most roping. creative. Some like some of the later ones apparently very much like the Ica stones. The later figurines start to get really creative. Like there's one that I saw that it looked like. Oh, God, like, I would hope so. Four, a four-legged creature of some variety is eating a humanoid-looking figure, and the way it's set up is the four-legged creature is the base, and its head is held up in the air, and it, in its jaws, it's holding the head of the humanoid, and then the humanoid's body curls up in uh, into the air. See, that's kind of awesome. It is. It's a neat figurine, um, and it is much, much better looking than some of the earlier, what I'm assuming are earlier figurines, um, because obviously their skill level, your skill level is going to increase, especially if you, even if you only made 5,000 of them, by the time you get to the 5,000 figure, you're going to be making a better one than the first one.
2: So you're suggesting a two-pronged thing. On the one hand, you're suggesting these should probably be on regretsy. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what that is, it. It's kind of in the name. It's things that are not Etsy that you might regret. The it's uh, it's a it's a it's a bit it's a bit of uh, fun. I'm like not sure if this site's still around. Like
0: Pinterest fails. Um, like like what fails? Pinterest fails. Those are my favorites to look at.
2: I'm not sure what those are, but I'm gonna they guess. A,
0: oh, Pinterest. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, they take a picture yeah. of a craft and they 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 take a picture of their craft and it's like nailed it and it's usually like this horrific abomination and looks well, the, nothing like the thing they were trying to make.
2: The last one I remember seeing on Regretzi was a handmade or or hand-screened or whatever shower curtain with a massive, like, four-foot-tall, two-tone image of uh, the the vampire from Twilight, Edward Cullen's head. wow. Yeah. Like those
0: obey signs?
2: Yes, 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 actually, except I don't think that was what it was supposed to be. But, yeah, that's how how it turned out. (laughs) So, on the one hand, they might go on Regretzi. On the other hand, it sounds like... You're suggesting a stylistic seriation. Of the Acambaro figurines could, nay, should, be done. I think sounds it like could. a That ma- sounds like a master's a master's thesis waiting uh, radi- waiting to be written.
0: Well, one of the interesting things about the Acambaro figures uh, is that there has been academic study of them in the past. Yes. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Which is unique to. Well, you had mentioned Charles
2: de Peso. Yeah, he, yes, he was Charles an actual. Yeah, he was. he's an, he's an, an American archaeologist. Yeah,
0: um, and, and he, he, got, he did more he, than just come out and look at the dig. He took some of the figures yeah. back with him and tried to get them dated.
2: Right, he did uh, thermoluminescence on them, and and there was a lot of controversy. And then they got redated, and that went back and forth. Um, thermoluminescence is a technique where, uh, in sort of the crystal and lattice work, or in you know, in the the molecular lattice work inside various kinds of substances, including fired clay. Um, energy. Electrons get trapped over time. And if you reheat it, at some point, the little lattice work inside at, at the molecular level, uh, and I'm probably mangling this, probably not actually, uh, gets excited enough that, in essence, the if you think of it like a cage, the bars of the cage get wide enough or, or open enough that the electrons fly out, the energy is released, very small amount, and you can basically measure how much Energy is released, and that will tell you how much has been collected based on the material since the zero date, and the zero date is going to be the last time it got that hot, which means for clay, if it's been fired into ceramic, when it was fired into ceramic. Right. So it's actually – it's used routinely to determine if ceramics have been faked or frauded. Uh, Zapotec funerary urns from Western Mexi- or from, uh, from southern Mexico and Oaxaca are an incredibly iconic kind of artifact from Mesoamerica. Museums and collectors love them, and they're really easy to fake because they're easy to mold, and there are actual ancient molds lying around. So there are tons of them out there, and it has been estimated possibly half of those in museums are fake. And quite a few, the only way you'll be able to tell – is through TL, is through thermoluminescence.
0: Yeah, thermoluminescence is also one of the newer forms of dating that uh, has come up in the past few years. And when it was new, the process was still very um, volatile, I guess would be a good word for it. And it's not that it was faulty, it's just that thermoluminescence it tends to not, like many forms of dating, if the thing is too recent that is being dated, yes, that was it the will biggest give problem. a false positive or a yeah. false date. And we've discussed this process, this problem with C14 dating. You can't date, you can't use certain forms of dating on objects that are not old enough. Or too um, old. Or too old. Yeah, yeah. They, it does work in the opposite direction too. luminescence. yeah. Thermal luminescence is one of the dating techniques that we use that if an object is too recent, it can give a false date, but it can, there's certain flags that pop up that we are aware of now that we weren't aware of when we first started using this process that allows us to see, ah, I'm getting a bad date because this is so recent. And that's the problem with the original sets of the thermal luminescence dates. Yeah. The, I mean,
2: the problem with carbon, of course, is that carbon is radio carbon-14 dating. The carbon-14 is radioactive. It's slowly decaying. And after 50,000 years, there's just going to be so little of it left that you're starting to run into, you know, whenever you see a poll, it's like margin of error plus 2%. You're starting to run into that margin of error. Since thermoluminescence is all about accumulating electrons inside the, the, the molecular lattice work, it's the same problem in that you have very little of what you're trying to measure. It's just that carbon decays so you lose it with time this accumulates so you gain it with time which means at the very beginning you have very little
0: right and the first set of thermoluminescence dating that we got um gave a very old date it it gave it i don't remember the date right off the top of my head but it aged these things at a at a date that would have been logical with the community, with the um, society that they were claiming the artifacts were made by, by about prehistoric- forty,
2: about forty five hundred years ago,
0: right. And this would have been great if these were real, but obviously they were not. So the 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 date got disputed, and because of that, they tried dating it a few more times the most recent thermal thermal luminescent date that was done it was much more accurate and done in a, in a much better way and it's because these objects are so new we were able to tell that these objects were made within 30 years of the time that it was dated and at that time was 30 years so basically when they dated these things the last time they found out that these figurines were only 30 years old which is well within the time zone, uh, the uh, timeline for them to have been discovered, um, originally and to have been made by hand recently.
2: Well, we haven't even talked too much. We talked a little bit about what they depict and, uh, what's, what's, I mean, they depict a number of different things, but what's kind of the, you've looked at, I mean, again, there are thousands, there are literally pictures of thousands of these things in one frame. What's kind of the overwhelming, um, sort of theme
0: The theme of these is a lot like the Inca Stones in that they are, for the most part, depicting dinosaurs or lizard-like creatures and humanoid figurines that supposedly range in ethnicity from the Chinese to the Egyptians to what always catches me off guard being very specific as bearded Caucasians. Yeah. Like I've seen these figures, I don't know how they got that these were supposed to be white men. Like they, I can't hardly tell how they're supposed to be anything really.
2: Are they? But are they? Are they exploiting other people around the world? That might be a might be a giveaway.
0: <laughs> exactly. They came over and took the land away from all of the other little figures. Like,
2: oh, they're Europeans. But, uh, but no, now, I mean, and
0: there's a lot of dinosaurs and dragons. There are a lot of dinosaurs yeah. and dragons. And and they're they're
2: hanging out with humans, and you know people like to make a joke, you know that you know oh I didn't know that the Flintstones was was a documentary, but not even that. These look like the kind of, I mean, but they remind me of a couple of things. One is if there if you were depicting. There were there were a number of different images of, of dinosaurs, and we can talk about this in a little bit. But one of them, of course, in the movies and in the, in the not so much in the 1940s, because in the 1940s there were only a couple of dinosaur movies. I mean, there were there were a handful, and they were things like King Kong and the Lost World, and those did use clay models, and they were at least vaguely attempting to uh, to be semi accurate to the to what was known about dinosaurs at the time. And we'll talk about that. But they almost remind me sometimes, and, and the Ecostone one's even more so, of one of my favorite tricks for depicting dinosaurs in movies, especially in the 50s and early 60s, was to go down to the pet store, or in Mexico, you know, go outside, <laughs> buy or find an iguana, um, and stick a fin on it, and then film it with a low camera angle at slow motion, and all of a sudden you've got a dinosaur. It's funny you
0: should mention the iguana because one of um, Dr. Swift's arguments for them being authentic is that apparently one of the figurines accurately depicts an iguanodon. Except the Um, iguanodons
2: don't look like iguanas.
0: Right. Uh, And neither does the little (laughs) figurine he's trying to say looks like an iguanodon. Um, So it's just funny, like... I kind of want to talk about Dennis Swift's arguments for the Acampra figurines because they kind of feed back into the Ica Stones, uh, the arguments for the authenticity of the Ica Stones as well.
2: What is his basic argument?
0: His basic argument is, of course, aside from the whole academics are hiding these, they know they're real and they're just deciding that they're not because reasons. His other argument is, is that these figurines are accurately depicting the modern idea of what these dinosaurs should look like because what you were alluding to earlier is yeah. back in the 40s we didn't know what some of the we we put these dinosaurs together wrong basically and yeah. we thought they looked like things that they don't actually and look I wanna, like
2: and i want to talk about that a little more after the break but the the other thing is what they remind me of is uh they're they're very ropey and we were talking about how you how you'd make these things earlier I, i'm sorry so many of these are clearly of the all right kids take a coil of clay and turn it into a snake. It reminds me of, um, I'm an old man, so I remember ye olden days of internet humor before Vine and, and Tumblr and all of that and, and, and GIFs uh, of um, Homestar Runner. And strong bad emails and the the creation of Trogdor the Burninator where it's like yeah. draw an S. No, draw a different like, S.
0: They do kind of look like Trogdor. They look a knows. little
2: like Trogdor. I think Trogdor's definitely got I I recently introduced one of my students and they were highly amused by Trogdor. So it's it, it's an all-ages thing. But uh, uh, no, uh, they kind of look a little like Trogdor. I don't know if they even have the big beefy arm on the on the back for I'm for sure there's action.
0: probably one that does I'm sure there
2: I'm sure there must be. So, uh, but yeah, they're clearly made by the, by the coil and rope and then add, repeat, and add little blobs of stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, like I said, they,
0: they do tend to get a little bit more complex as they progress, but yeah. for the most part, they stick to the same technique.
2: And I think, so. the, I think after the break, what we can definitely talk about is how our ideas of dinosaurs have changed. And yeah, how our ideas of dinosaurs apparently haven't changed.
0: <laughs> right. 8-Bit Test Pit is here to put Archeogaming on the map. Hosted by key players of the RQ gaming world, 8-Bit Test Pit sets to explain the weird and wonderful connections between the study of our past and the virtual world we like to explore. 8-Bit Test Pit breaks the field of archaeogaming down into three accessible formats. The main campaign is the monthly show featuring a panel discussion led by Andrew Reinhardt, Megan Dennis, and Tara Copplestone on a number of issues and topics, all of which revolve around the intersection of archaeology and gaming. Everything from coding practices to ethics in and about the game reality. Dug-up content is bite-sized 15-minute episodes released every six weeks, filled to the brim with information covering key terms and concepts in and about the field of Archeogaming. These will inform and educate in the time it takes to load your saved game. Archeo Deathmatch. Two Archeogamers enter, one Archeogamer leaves. When a field is new, disagreements are going to happen. Here in the virtual arena, two archaeologists debate a topic related to archaeogaming, hosted every five weeks or as needed. Archaeogaming covers not only the study of archaeology and video games, but also the study of games as material culture. Some of our hosts you already may know Andrew Reinhardt, who was featured in the documentary Atari Game Over, Tara Copplestone, who studies how games are made through an archaeological lens, and Megan Dennis. A PhD candidate at the University of York who is studying ethics in video games. Plus, many more interested and insightful players in the archaeogaming world are ready to load. The show is hosted and produced by Sarah Head of Archaeofantasy Spain and Tristan Boyle, content creator of the Archaeology Podcast Network.
2: Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time the world's best
1: converting checkout. checkout.
2: Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.
0: And we are back and we are still talking about the Acombre figures and the Ica stones. And you, Jeb, wanted to touch on dinosaurs. Well, we've, been, we've been talking about they're all about dinosaurs. They're literally they about dinosaurs, yeah. thousands of dinosaurs. Now, and... It's not just that they're about dinosaurs though. It's specifically that they're about dinosaurs coexisting with humans. That's the important oh, yeah. jump. It's yeah. not dinosaurs themselves. It's the implication of coexisting with humans.
2: Well, hell, if they're made in 2500 B.C., They've got to be. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, unless, unless somebody's trying to claim that the Acambro figurines are 70 million years old, you know, one way or the other, you gotta see, you got to see these things. But if you go, you know, and, and find good, solid scientific depictions of dinosaurs today, you know what they're not going to look like? The Acambra figurines or the Ica stones. Exactly. You know they've got these droopy tails. They've got, if I remember right, a lot of the Ecombro figurines have very lizard-like legs that are like you know splayed out instead of being. Uh, if they
0: have legs, yes.
2: Yeah, uh, they 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 look like stereotypical dragons and stereotypical dinosaurs to some degree. Excuse me, of that time period, and <clears throat> this is something that that comes up again and again and again with whether it's hoaxes. Or claims. I mean, for example, in, in in UFO land, you see this time and again that the the things that are seen flit around the sky. Even UFO people say this. Even they know this, uh, at least a, f- a few number of them. That the things you see flitting around the sky are always just over the technological horizon. Things that we can imagine, but they don't exist. So in the 1890s, it's you know steampunky airships, and it's like silvery discs in the 1940s, and they become dark, stealthy triangles in the 1980s and 1990s, and so on. Well, these have the same problem. They look like what people imagine dinosaurs of the time to be. And, of course, now we see dinosaurs as warm-blooded. And we see almost all of them at some point in their life, if not most of their life, having feathers. And it's taken me, frankly, a while to get over that. And I kind of have. <laughs> I, I was so – because, I mean, there's a cool, like, oh, it's a dragon. That's so awesome it's a dragon. It's like, well, it's more of a murderous turkey, um, which yeah. is cool in its own way. But the fact that it's real, and you, know, you, know, you, you see dinosaur toys and they now have, except for the ones for Jurassic Park, which they even pointed out in the last movie that we're not putting feathers on because people expect them not to. And people expect them not to. And so, of course, that's what we're seeing with these because in the 1940s or the 1960s, you know, the old pictures of slow, sluggish, reptile-looking or lizard-looking creatures was a lot closer and certainly would have been very commonly in news strips and, and all of that. Well, so, and in
0: museums as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you still find some of those old miles in, in, in museums although they're replacing them, except in one museum. And that, of course, would be Ken Ham's Creation Museum across the border in Kentucky, which we have talked about on this show before. And I believe I mentioned that they proudly point out that their dinosaurs do not have feathers because apparently it's always 1960 at the creation museum. Um, I guess if your
0: goal is to preserve a snapshot in time, then good on you. So that's, I mean, that's the thing is, is that these, these
2: things don't even, you know, I I would say this, if somebody had somehow pulled out of the ground, things that look like how we think dinosaurs look now, but it was made 60 years ago, I'm not saying that would make it real, but that would be a very interesting thing to find. Whereas like, oh, look, it looks like how dinosaurs were made or or were seen around the time it was made. That's eminently not surprising.
0: And and that's a lot of what you see on the Ica stones. Right. Um, so we can move a little are, farther south. Yeah, we can move a little farther south. Um, I'm just going to warn people now. I'm I'm probably going to butcher these poor people's names. Um, so this all got started in about 1966. So we've moved uh, forward in time and southern and. Yeah, we're in south. We're in southern Peru, in the Ica yes.
2: province of southern Peru, which is not terribly far from Nazca which may actually explain some of this. In fact, as we see it, definitely will. But yes, it's totally not far from Nazca with the Nazca line. So this is in southern Peru.
0: And uh, this gentleman, can you say his name, Jen?
2: Okay, hang on a second. Uh, the doctor or the, uh, the <clears throat> finder?
0: Oh, either, honestly. Are, are okay. you looking at the well, article? Well, Dr. Javier Cabrera d'Arquea. Thank you.
2: And uh, the other person we're going to be talking about, the primary person, and I just need to find it so I can see it. I have it in my document. Um,
0: well, Dr. Uh, Basil- De Quara...
2: Basil- Basilio Uchaya. Uchuya, excuse me.
0: Uchuya? Okay. Um, Dr. DeCuara. Cabrera.
2: Cabrera. Oh, it's, so it is Cabrera.
0: Dr. Cabrera Caprera. is usually credited with being the, not the discoverer, but the biggest proponent for the inca stones um and it's it's an interesting story i'm not going to get too deep into it basically he was given a stone on his birthday and somehow he was able to identify the this stone that had a carving on it and the carving he identified as being a extinct prehistoric fish Mm -hmm. and there's never any explanation as to why he would know what that looked like or why he would know what kind of fish it was. But I, I,
2: I think he was vaguely interested in, in such things. I think, right. Was, yeah. But I've seen
0: the picture. I, I have a picture of the supposed rock that got it all going and mm-hmm. the carving on that rock. And it is, it's very childlike. Like later on, these stones become basically pieces of art. This one is very childish. It looks like something an a, a fifth grade or a 5-year-old would draw if you said draw me a fish. It looks like what they would draw. Only it's been carved on a stone.
2: Right. Um, it's an so, it's an it's carved in andesite, correct?
0: Yes. And it is unrecognizable as any kind of actual fish. So how it could have been identified as being an extinct prehistoric fish is beyond me in any way. But This sparks Dr. Carabara's imagination, and he decides that he needs to have more of these. So very much like the last story with with the uh, Acambra figurines, he tells the locals, for every one of these that you bring me, I will pay you money for them. So, of course, he starts becoming inundated with these rocks, and they range in in, uh, size all the way from the small pebble that is this fish all the way up to giant boulders, basically. And, like, and,
2: and Dr. Cabrera is a, like a doctor doctor. He's a medical doctor.
0: He is. He, but he yeah. is not an archaeologist, and he is, I think, at best, an amateur historian at this point. Um, but he is, from, from what I can tell, he is not personally involved in the fraud. And he does seem to believe that these are actual things. To the point where he turns his house into a museum, and I believe you can still go visit it today. It's it's under management of a descendant of his, but I think he's... it's his
2: it's his daughter. I read somewhere that had burned down, but honestly, oh, I visited. No. I I know well no, but I visited their website earlier this year, and it seemed like it was still up and running. So,
0: well, I mean, they are rock, so
2: yeah, but I mean, like it was also clearly his office. Like it clearly was also like a shrine to him.
0: Right, and I have nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think it's cool. I would love to go myself someday. And like I said, I think these stones are neat. I would own one if I ever get to Peru and will and buy one, because you can still do that. Um, But since they're not antiquities, it's not really illegal. Exactly, and they have been proven to be a a uh, fake because the gentleman who is credited with creating the majority of these yeah, Basilio Uscioya. Yeah. He was a local farmer, and he apparently is the one that provided the majority of these. I don't think he's the only one who made them, but he is credited with being uh, the major one. And he admitted to Peruvian authorities that he was the one forging these because in Peru, it's a crime to sell antiquities. It's a crime to sell antiquities. And so when it came out that it was possible that he was selling these, to Dr. Carabara, the authorities came to him and threatened to arrest him. And apparently in Peru, that's not a great thing to happen. So Well, no, he, I would I would say, I mean, the thing is,
2: I obviously believe these are fake because they, they look friggin' fake because every number of reasons. But they do. you know, if you were looting and you somehow could get out of it by going, No, I made these.
0: You would. Well, it's more than he just said he could make them. He, he actually then made some. He demonstrated to the local yeah. authorities. Yeah. how he did it and recreated one. I think right. he did it twice. Yeah. On the spot, on demand. Yeah. Um he did there's, it once for the authorities and he did it once for a BBC documentary as well.
2: Yeah, there's an infamous forger in in Mexico who he now makes like legitimate replicas, but he was an infamous forger who would made amazing forgeries of things in real archaeological styles and was selling them. So he's a forger in like the true sense, not like a I'm going to make time traveling rocks, but like I'm going to make a Zapotec <laughs> urn. And he went to prison because he had been arrested under suspicion of selling uh, real antiquities. He actually had the tools and materials smuggled into prison and made an artifact there. And that's how he got himself out.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a really common story, actually. There was a famous um, forger painter who had a very similar situation. He got arrested and to prove that he wasn't selling authentic paintings, like he wasn't stealing and then selling real paintings. He was like, I can, I can show you. I just need to have, I think he said he needed two bottles of rum and then all of his painting supplies.
2: And <laughs> they, they
0: did. They provided him with two bottles of rum or two bottles of alcohol and all of his painting supplies. And he basically got drunk and recreated some very famous painting from memory. And nice. it was it was almost identical to the original, and they were like, Oh, all right, never mind, and they let him go. So I mean, that's a pretty common story with forgers. When push comes to shove, they can do their stuff, and most importantly, they can they can recreate their things quickly, which is why there can be somewhere between the rate somewhere between the range of eleven thousand or yeah eleven thousand to fifteen thousand uh of these stones.
2: And there's even a picture of a standing with a newspaper that he says was one of his models with like a comic strip in it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he started drawing inspiration for these stones, very similarly to the, the people who are forging the Acambra figures from popular media at the time, including comic books, magazines, and trips to the museum. And I believe uh, with the Ica stones, he was pulling them out of the um, Encyclopedia Britannica as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the same kind of story with the Ica stones when they were studied, and these were not studied as in depth as the combra figurines, but well, they have... this gets in
2: go ahead, go ahead.
0: No, you're well just this, this
2: this gets into sort of something that you know is a hobby horse i mean it's it's something I've talked about on the show uh before, and I'm going to continue to. You see in archaeology a point where people stop dealing with these because they're like, "Yeah, it's not worth my time. I have better things to do." Prior to World War II, that was not really the case. Even into the fifties, that wasn't the case. But once archaeology starts to really kind of hit it as an academic field, you see less interest in these because there's sort of this assumption of, eh, "Whatever, you know, we well, got." And I think we,
0: there's, a, there's a drive to divorce ourselves from yeah silly which, things because which, we which don't because we want to take it seriously.
2: And there was a lot of silly things in archaeology's earlier days, which, again, we'll be continuing to talk about. But, yeah, they've not been heavily, you know, the law enforcement got interested for the reasons you mentioned, but archaeologists didn't go. They're just like, it's got a freaking dinosaur on it. I really don't have anything else to say.
0: Right, exactly. And they're they're not even good depictions of dinosaurs. They're cool. They're not good. Now, they have been studied in that they've, um, well, I mean, that's a rock. You can't, some people will tell you you can date rocks. You can't. Um, but, well, there's, but they, so, there's
2: some you can date, but, you know, I mean, potassium, argon, but you could not date these this way.
0: No, not these. These, what they did is there is a patina on these rocks, and what they did was they dated or they tried to date the patina, and they tried to identify the patina, and when they did identify the patina, it matched with the story of the forger who claimed that to get this nice black patina on it, he would mm-hmm. – he would basically um, wrap the, the rocks in um, either chicken or um, animal manure. And, and there we go. And he would bake them like that. And the manure would turn, we'd put this really neat patina on the rock. And then after the patina was put on the rock, he would take a dentist drill and scratch the shapes onto the rocks. And so the pictures were put on after the after oh. the patina. And because he's using a mechanical drill, that leaves a very distinct mark, tool mark, on the stones. And those could be seen in uh, microscopic comparisons. Now, that's as far as analysis on these have gotten.
2: Now, before you go to analysis, so what you're saying is that when Ken is on the show and he wants to call this kind of stuff bullshit archaeology, he's <laughs> not being judgy He's just being <laughs> extremely accurate. Right. These these rocks were this literally is literal, literal crap. shit archaeology.
1: <laughs> now also the thing that's
2: chicken, interesting. Possibly chicken shit.
0: Probably chicken shit. The the thing that I like about the Ica stones, yes, they depict a lot of dinosaurs, specifically dinosaurs living with humans, and that gets the creationists all hot and heavy. Um, just like the Acombra figures. The, my thing with the Ica stones that always confuses me, though, is the Ica stones depict not only dinosaurs and man Mm -hmm. living together, Mm -hmm. but they depict things like the Nazca lines. They depict things like advanced surgery, um, like Mm -hmm. heart, the heart being removed from the body and hovering over the body of the patient while the doctor uses very modern looking surgical tools to perform some sort of thing on the body. Um, I think there's one that's depicting a birth, a cesarean birth. And these are just the more well-known rocks. Um, I guess as the guy started to run out of ideas, he started depicting... Odd sexual acts as well, and no one yeah. batted an eye. Everyone just accepted these as real. no Well, matter that,
2: that, did. that's actually less surprising. The, the moche are a very famous archaeological culture True in story. northern yes. Peru, and they actually do depict – there are quite a few, and although many of these may be hoaxes, some are not hoaxes, and they depict sexual acts as well, and there's an entire museum dedicated to that, so that's actually less surprising. It almost sounds like – I hadn't thought of it this way, but you can actually see kind of the obsessions of fringe archaeology – in sequence. So, like, the Niven stones that we talked about uh, earlier in another show are all about, like, alphabets and hieroglyphs, which were the obsession yeah. of, of 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 pseudoarchaeology and, and, the, and the newer Coley stones, and these other things, and the Kensington rune stones. So, the, the late, eight, oh my god, I feel a paper coming on. The late 1800s, <laughs> this, for real, early 1900s, it's all about ancient writing systems. You get into the 20th century, that's not as interesting in some ways. It continues, but instead you have other kinds of interest. And so what you have in the middle of the 20th century, you have all these dinosaurs and these other things, um, which when were those f- supposed human, non-human dinosaur fa- footprints found in Texas? I don't want to get into it, but you see the argument. And by the right. 60s, what you've got is you've got high tech and the space age and the origins. Because remember, uh, we often think of the late 60s for the ancient aliens thing, but ancient aliens really started to percolate a little in the 50s and blew up in the 60s that yeah. idea is out there What this reminds me of you mentioned surgery the first um the first well, there's a couple there's a couple in south america but the first really well-known uh alien abduction stories happening in the 1960s and that's betty and barney hill and they talk about how there is this technique like ultrasound which is you or no amniocentesis that a needle was put into into Betty's stomach and all that. Well, that was a technique that existed in medicine, but had only existed for a couple of years. And that's right. what we were just talking about. It's like, oh, is this thing right on the cusp of technology? Do you want to scream futuristic? Well, that's what you. Yeah, use. I mean, it
0: hits all of the. They hit all of the high notes. But the thing that I like is that. Depending on what kind of conspiracy you, you want, what brand of conspiracy you want, you can find that in the Eka Stones. If you want to be oh, yeah. an Atlantean, you can find that. If you want to be an alien person, you can find that. If you want to be a New World creationist, you can find that. It's all there. But the thing is, is the creationists, and this is my own side thing, they like to use these as proof of a young Earth, very much like oh, the yeah. comrade figures. But in order to use the Eka Stones for that purpose, you have to ignore the thousands of stones that depict things like modern surgery and aerial views of accurate maps of the earth and all of that kind of stuff. So you have to ignore the ones that don't fit your paradigm in order to get the ones that do to, in order to claim those.
2: Well, you know, if you're ignoring an entire planet full of archeological and geological evidence, (laughs) what is a little bit of open heart surgery and odd sexual practices in the occasional flying saucer. That's just a few more minutes of your time.
0: Or, or just blatant Welsh dragons.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: which exists nowhere except on the Welsh flag.
2: Yeah. Well, or and on the now somewhat less uh, depreciated uh, uh, British pound. But uh, yeah.
0: But yeah, so it, it's it's interesting to see two different sets of artifacts that have, I don't know, about ten to fifteen years between them. Yeah, which are about that. pretty much identical. You know, you've got clay figurines, and then you've got rocks, and but they're yeah. depicting pretty much the same damn thing, and they have and, the same origin story, and the
2: social context is the same. You've got rural places, and, and we've got other cases. They're almost identical, and these are not just in Latin America. It's one we didn't even get to, maybe for another show, in France, the Glouzel case. You have yeah. these rural populations. You have an outsider who comes in, shows an interest in these because they're an amateur historian, amateur archaeologist, and all of a sudden. All of their wishes are fulfilled beyond their wildest dreams. The fact that Dr. Cabrera's began on his birthday, I'll have to say is feliz cumpleanos. <laughs> so uh so yeah. That
0: is very fortuitous. I mean, happy birthday, here's your fish. Oh, now you have a life calling, you know?
2: Yeah. So all right. Well, I think that we have kind of uh, worked through these, and uh, I am now going to go home and start faking uh, the uh, the Miami Valley whatevers. I don't know what yet, but uh, we'll we'll see in a we'll see in a few years. Uh, but yes, all right. This has been uh, some enlightening uh, uses of animal dung.
0: <laughs> yes, and it has been interesting learning about a new set of pseudo artifacts. So thank you very much, Jen.
2: Alright, well, uh, we'll talk about something probably just as weird next time.
1: trials as one will call, know it down to a dinosaur.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at Archie fantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archeologypodcastnetwork.com slash fantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at com slash archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening.
1: No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.